Please hold the line. We will answer your call as soon as possible. Today, my guest on Please Hold is Martin Mikos. Martin and I have known each other for a long time, and he is the first hacker I have had on this show. But he's not going to go to jail. He gets paid to hack things legally. And if you're really good, you get one of these coins. We're going to learn all about it. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for being Michael. Here. Thank you. <laughs> so you're not dressed like a hacker, man. I mean, you're, you're dressed like the guy that people want to hack. Right. Um, now, but you employ a bunch of hackers. Yes, we do. We're a little bit like Robin Hood. We take money from the rich and we give it to the smart, to the hackers. Okay. So we're the go-between between the hackers and the companies who need to be hacked before they get hacked by criminals. So I'm sort of trying to be the godfather of all these 100,000 hackers that we have. <laughs> I love it. The godfather hacker. I don't know. Maybe I'm not, but I'm trying to be. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk about Hacker One. First, I want to talk about you okay. and your education. Yeah. I can't pronounce the name of the university you went to. Help me out. So it changed name for that reason. It was called Helsinki University of Technology. But what is it now called in? Alto. Okay. Alto. Famous architect. Got it. But anyone that didn't speak Finnish couldn't pronounce. What's the name in Finnish? Uh, no, it's just Alto. Okay. Even in Finnish. Yeah. Got it. We made it simple. We, we were trying on your LinkedIn to pronounce it before. What, what was okay. the name before in Finnish? Teknillinen korkeakoulu. Okay. So they changed the name. And you got a physics degree from sure. the university. Yeah. Um, why physics? And how did physics eventually become playing around in computer software and technology? Uh, well, I was never interested in technology. But I did know that that school was the best school in Finland. Just the best place to go. Okay. So I realized I have to go there. And then I looked at all the departments and all the majors. And I took the least technical one, which was physics. And it was at that year also the most difficult one to get into. So I thought, okay, that's good. I can make it. I'll try to get in there. And that's how I started studying physics. Were you a good student? No. Okay. No. But you passed. I passed. Okay. Finally. It took many years. It's better than most. <laughs> yes. So in the mid-90s, after you graduated with your degree in physics, yeah. um, well, first of all, before you graduated, you were at school for a, quite a long time, right? I was. This was a crazy... Like 12 years? Yeah. This Did you keep failing or what happened there? <laughs> it was a crazy time in Finland. As a student, you got all these benefits from the government, student grants and loans <laughs> and stuff, and, and everything was inexpensive. So I just stayed a student. At the same time, I was engaged in the student clubs. I ran a disco. I was chairman of a group with 500 members, then another group. And so life just took over. Then we started a company. I got married. I had my first kid. And all while still all enrolled. Still enrolled. And Amazing. then suddenly I realized, okay, I need to graduate. So and then I did my military service within those years as well. Okay. So finally I said, okay, Martin, get yourself together, get a degree. Who knows? You might need it one day. And I didn't need it. I, maybe I've never needed it. So you weren't being a bad student. You were very happily enrolled for 12 years in university. Yeah, we all did. I mean, a great time. We all did. We all okay. did. It was the best time. Of my life. Well, many times are the best, but it was really a great time. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Enjoyed it. Sounds fun. The funny thing is, I was born on that campus. My, my both parents studied there, and they lived on the campus when I was born. So I have a special affinity to it. Wow, that's amazing. So in the mid-90s, you bounced around with some sales jobs and some marketing jobs and doing all this kind of stuff. And then you went the complete other direction and you became the CEO of MySQL. Yes. Which is one of the most successful uh, versions of SQL of all time. Well, it wasn't then. 
Eat cake. Okay, so you made it one of the most successful versions of all time. No, no, it was. It was. I'm taking credit now for something I shouldn't. How did you? Um, how did you go from those just sales and marketing jobs, bouncing around companies, to becoming the CEO of MySQL? I knew the founders of MySQL since college times because the CTO he studied physics as well at the exact same time. It was same year as I was, so we had played poker together and we're friends. <laughs> And one day they called me and said, we're sitting here in our kitchen. We realized we need a CEO for our company and we think it should be you. And the reason they called me, I think, was they probably knew nobody else who had ever been the CEO. But I had. <laughs> so that's how it started. Did you jump at it? No. I, I shouted back at them and said, no. Uh, because I, I, I knew what kind of, how they ran their business and sort of how they... I knew them too well, so I knew it would be difficult. Okay. But then I said, okay, guys, I'll come in and help you with strategy. I'm really good at that. Let me just help you with that and, and then see what happens. And during that process, we got a very good elderly statesman on board as chairman of the company. And then I felt that I would have somebody who would back me and support me in the business initiatives. And I said, okay, with this setup, I'm ready to join. Without being modest, would my sequel... Yeah have become what it did without you? I think we did something absolutely amazing. So, sure, it was already the world's most popular open source database uh, when I joined. But I think we just grew it three, four, five orders of magnitude during mm -hmm. my time there. So I'm, I'm very proud of it. Yeah, that's, that was and, great. And I, and I think that I, I took it to heart. I made it my own element, the whole world of open source and community building and data. I'd worked for a database company before, so I knew database, I'd done database programming. So I felt I actually had all the skills you would need. And then I was stupid enough to take the job. <laughs> nobody in their right minds would have taken it back then. How did you do it? Because you really had to get developers excited about using you, right? You had to sort of... Sure. Yeah. get to the developers at the point, at the stage where they were selecting the stack they were going to use to develop something. Yeah. Yeah. How, do, how do you do that? Well, I asked Mark Zuckerberg once. I said, because Facebook was and is a big user of, of MySQL, and I asked him, I said, why did you pick this database? And he looked at me as if I were stupid, which is correct. And he said, Martin, I grew up on MySQL. And that is the key here, that there were many young people who as teenagers had been developing applications with PHP and MySQL, and that's how they built the applications. Yep. So it was just the notion of respecting them, listening to them, taking good care of them, and not ignoring them. Because in that group were all the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Craig Newmarks and the, whatever they were building, uh, those who built Wikipedia, everybody was there. And sort of not being arrogant towards that group. And I think I had a sense for that as a senior. That's an amazing story, and I'll tell you, when I had a web design agency back in the late 90s and early to mid-2000s, it was just LAMP. Yes, and of course, exactly. BM, yeah. MySQL. Yeah. Yeah. But then I think we were strategic as well, because we realized that the LAMP stack, that for every other letter, there were alternatives. But on M, there was just us. Mm -hmm. And it was very deliberate that we played us in there, and we never tried to own the LAMP name or brand. We wanted it to be something everybody would use because we knew that the M could just be us. Yep. And so Sun came along and said, this is super valuable, and we want to own it. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe somebody else came to us many times before that <clears throat> and said the same thing, and we always tried to resist them, and they kept increasing their bid, 
over and over again, and we tried to keep them at bay. And then finally, Sun came in and said, how about a billion dollars? And we thought that would be a great outcome because it would protect us against many other scenarios and allow us to grow. And Sun didn't have a database at the time. Yep. It's a great outcome. Um, in your career, you seem to have this path where you're often the CEO, but not often the founder. Is that, would that be accurate? Nowadays, yeah. Okay. Because I have no ideas. Well, I was going to ask you, um, you're, you clearly have uh, talent in coming into a company, perhaps organizing it or being the adult in the room and growing it. Uh, why not go out on your own and start something? I don't know, but I do not have, I do not carry business ideas within me. Okay. Like I'm thinking about Hacker One now, which I love. I love it so dearly that I feel like I founded it. And I have to remind myself, no, I didn't found it. I couldn't even have figured out that business model on my own. Do you care? Like when, oftentimes being a yeah. founder associated with ego, does it matter to you if you found it or not? As long as you're growing it, it's no, going the right direction? I think, I think you have to play to your own strengths. And sometimes I joke, I say, I'm smart enough not to follow my own ideas. Because who knows what I would start if I really followed my own ideas. Do you think you will ever found something? No, not necessarily. Okay. I, I, I see myself as sort of a servant. I'm serving some common good and some bigger thing. And I'm good at getting people together and working towards that goal. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind that people hand me the goal and say, Martin, would you like to do this? And then I take it and run with it. I, I really don't. Sometimes I've been thinking that if I had lived 200 years ago or 300 years ago in Europe, I would be one of those generals who would go and visit every prince and king and say, hey, what kind of battles do you have going on and can I help you? Could you, give, could you find something? But you wouldn't be the king. No, 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 no interest. But being in sort of in the battlefield where stuff happens mm -hmm. and then afterwards having that sense of accomplishment as a group, that you accomplish as a group and say, wow, what a battle. And we won it because we were cunning, we were smart, we were strong, we were quick, we did all these things. That to me is truly fulfilling. So it's a super interesting time to be talking to you, given the role that hacking has played in politics. Like I've never seen it play in my lifetime last year. Um, you know, we had the US election and the accusations of Russia hacking and John Podesta's emails and all of that. Uh, yesterday, WikiLeaks released what they said were CIA documents, right. that there's now a probe. Um, has hacking reached a tipping point where now everyone, even if they're not a techie, even if they can barely turn on a computer, they understand what hacking is and they understand the danger of being hacked or the importance of cybersecurity? Yes, it has happened. And it has happened much faster than anybody could have believed. So in a way, the, the Russian hackers and all the election coverage around hacking, that did you a great service because now everyone's thinking about it. Yeah, thank you, Russia. Okay. Yeah. Was and it Russia? Well, they were <laughs> certainly part of it. Okay. It's more than Russia, but it's certainly Russia. I don't okay. think there's any doubt about it. But what we've done is gather all the good guys, all the ethical hackers, and they are far more in terms of numbers, and they are equally fast, so we can actually go in and prevent the bad things from happening by hacking you before the criminals get there. How big of a threat do you think cybersecurity is, or the lack of cybersecurity or hacking is in general to national security? I mean, have we reached a point where um, you and I should be writing 
uh, physical letters to each other because we know that can't be hacked? Like, how, how big of an issue is this? We will, we will be hacked, and, and society has always been hacked somewhere. Now it's being hacked in the digital domain. But there have always been threats to society. Wherever society is, whether, wherever there's money and power, you will have criminality. Now, just everything of value is digital, which means that every malicious act must also be digital. What was hacking 100 years ago? Well, people would... Uh, there were crime, regular crime for money to break into a bank and, and steal the money. That's what they did. They tried to influence politics back then by smear campaigns and stuff. You did it through regular newspapers. So many of the things we see today have happened before. It's just that in the digital world, you can, with small efforts, multiply it a million times or a billion times. So the effects are, are much larger. And now we're building the defenses. Do you think hackers look at physical bank robbers today and say, ah, oh, those guys are so analog? Well, to me, hacker is a good guy. If you mean the criminals who do all these attacks? I was referring yeah, they to probably, those. Yes, they probably think so. But I don't care what they think because they are criminals. They have bad intent. They are, they are not fit to be contributing members of society. But we have 100,000 good hackers yeah. who will help you. Those are hackers. I just saw a tweet an hour ago yeah. from a contributor on Fox News. And I want to read it to you. Uh, today, we've romanticized the culture of hackers to the point where they become cult heroes. Do you agree with that? It's true. It is true. The, I think, in again, because society is changing so much, you can't really know if somebody is a hero or a villain. And they might be a little bit of both, the most <laughs> extreme cases. So you look at them like a Snowden and wonder, was it, it was a crime, but was it perhaps still good for society? So there are those borderline cases where, where it's really difficult to know which one they are, and that's why the word hacker today can mean good things and bad things. I, I would say most people associate it with uh, something nefarious. I'm not so sure. Really? Uh, one of the most, the greatest companies in Silicon Valley, Facebook, they've changed the name of the street to one hacker way of their, of their headquarters. Fair enough. You do hackathons. Yep. So there are many positive connotations as well. And then there are some people use it for the, the criminal groups that will attack you. I'm curious what your personal opinion is of Edward Snowden. <laughs> Do you think that, um, like you said, yes, he, he hacked the system in a way, but it was a greater good for society? Well, I believe in transparency all over the place, and I believe it's much more powerful and leads to better results than secrecy. Mm -hmm. So if I can vote in this society, which I now can, I will vote for transparency always. If somebody drives that too far and breaks the law in getting there, of course, we must condemn it and take action. Mm -hmm. But it could be that 100 years from now, we'll look back and say that it had a positive effect on society, even though the actual act was a crime. So you wouldn't have told Obama to pardon him if you could have? Yeah, if he had asked me, I, would, I might do that. Oh, you might do it. Yeah. OK. Interesting. Um, have you ever seen the movie Sneakers? Uh, no, I didn't see it yet. Okay. Well, that, that is wrong because of your position in HackerOne, yeah. and I'm going to send it to you after this podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I want you to watch it. It's very entertaining. I will. I will, yes. And I'm actually on I'm going through all those movies and watching them. I just never was a movie-watching guy, so I'm a little bit behind there. You are a Finnish Robert Redford, um, if I may call you that. Thank you. Um, I, I will be a, a huge uh, disservice to Robert Redford. <laughs> Robert Redford, <laughs> I say different, Robert Redford yeah. was you before you are doing what you're doing now. Right. 
and in sneakers, and this is the early 90s, and I always thought it was really funny how they depicted technology then in movies. Yeah. Right. But um, the first scene was them uh, breaking into a bank and putting something in the computer and then uh, transferring, I think it was a million dollars from one account to another. Right. And yeah. then the punchline is they're doing this because they're hired to do it to show the bank where the systems are vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. No, that's true. That, is, that part I've actually have seen. I haven't seen the whole movie, but you're right. You he, he, he is a hacker of the type that we represent. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, um, would HackerOne have existed 20 years ago? Did it need to exist? The first bounty was given out in 1983, and they gave a bug for a bug, meaning a Volkswagen Beetle, if you could find a bug in their operating system. And then we had Netscape. That's a hell of a bounty. That's a hell of a bounty. They gave out seven. Okay. And every single one of them picked $1,000 over the, the Beetle. They didn't want the car. Hmm but they had a good program. And the next one was uh, Netscape, I think in 1995, who did what was long thought as the first bug bounty program. So you could have done it back then, but it wasn't a large market. Now we have everybody being online, everybody is at risk, everybody needs it. And the biggest online companies, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, they all run massive bug bounty programs. Yep. Google paid out three million last year in their program alone. On our platform, we have customers who are close to a million a year in spend on bug bounties. And then we have tiny, tiny startups who spend nothing or a few thousand dollars a year. Yep. Um, but you think, I mean, it's truly a sweet spot right now, right? Like even 10 years ago, this company would have absolutely. been maybe a tenth of its size. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk more about uh, the idea of a white hat hacker, yeah. which is what you guys yeah. employ. Yeah. Um, first of all, how do you judge if that person is just a white hat hacker or if they're white hat working for you and then at night they hack into banks and try to steal money? Well, first of all, they, anybody is welcome to sign up with HackerOne. And then you start gaining points, reputation points, when you do something good. And if you don't do anything good, you won't get any points and you won't get invited to good programs. So okay. it's in your interest to behave. Uh, we also give no particular benefit to a hacker. You get no special access anywhere. So if you have a criminal mm. mind, you will never bother to sign up with us because it's just hard work. There are no benefits. And the only benefit is when you do a good deed and you file a report with us. And if that happens, then that's a good change. If somebody was criminal and is switching over and becoming a white hat, that's a good change. Do you think it's likely that some of the hackers that do good things on the platform also do not good but things? It, I, I can't know, and I, we can't prevent it, but yeah. it can happen in any profession. Sure. Are there sheriffs who do have a shady side business? Are there politicians? Are there bankers? In every profession, you, you're bound to have some of them. Yep. The good news in our, our system is that we score the actions all the time. Every report gives you a negative or a positive score, so we can see how they're behaving, and that helps us. Uh, filter out the bad guys. But sure, you, uh, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's very difficult to detect. How young is the youngest hacker in your system? On our system, we have hackers that are 13, probably even 12. In the world, we know of a case of a 10-year-old who filed a bug with Instagram and got a $10,000 bounty. Wow. Amazing. It's amazing. What's the oldest hacker you have in your system? And the oldest, I wonder, probably 60s. Okay. Yes. And what is the sweet spot right now? Is like the 16, 17 year old usually 
the best hacker in the system or is it does it really range? Our most productive hackers are in their 30s and 40s. And they like one guy who made $600,000 over two years on Hacker One. So that's just amazing. But he's a pro. He has been in the industry forever. He knows everything. But some of the rising stars are just 17, 18, 19 years old. Wow. And, and we are, I'm learning now that I, I come from the software profession. And to, to be good enough to build a really robust software system, a mobile app or a website or something, you need a decade or two of experience. Mm. To be a good hacker, a year or two. Like they start when they're 15, they have endless energy, endless curiosity, endless time, and soon they are proficient. And then one more year and they're really good. And one more year they can rise to the top. Have you, ever, have you ever participated in a bug bounty program, program yourself? Uh, I am a registered hacker on HackerOne. I've filed one report in my life. <laughs> How much did you get paid? <laughs> Nothing. Okay. So two things happened. First of all, they said, yeah, you're right. This is a true, true issue. But number one, it's not serious, so you wouldn't get anything. And number two, this has been reported so many times, so it would be clear to duplicate anyhow. So you're not a very good hacker. <laughs> so I'm not a very good hacker. <laughs> but somebody needs to be the CEO of this company. And, that, and I admire every single hacker we have on the platform. And I think... They are amazing, and I communicate with them on Facebook and Twitter and email and all over the world. And they're just amazing people who many times are misunderstood by their society, who doesn't see the value of them, yep. but we give them a channel for doing good. And that's, that's extremely motivating and rewarding. That's great. Um, I heard you in an interview online talk about joining HackerOne because you wanted to fix the past security mistakes in your prior companies. <laughs> yeah. um, what happened? Well, I was CEO of MySQL, the first and last and only CEO, and we built the world's most popular open source database. We didn't think much of security back then. It was not high on the agenda. So the LAMP stack wasn't very secure. Mm. So I didn't mean anything particular. I just meant that I was part of this the growth of the internet and the web where everything was open, everything was permissible, there were no checks, nothing, you just did what you needed to do because most of the content on the web back then was just fun or useful, but there was very little financial information, personal information, sensitive information. So we did what the world needed now, we needed them, but now everything that's serious is running on the LAMP stack yep. and therefore we have to take completely different actions. I'm sure the security has been improved in the last. Oh, stack. so much, yes. And of course, we started, at some point we started, so I'm not, it's not like we're completely oblivious to it, but we started pretty, we were just innocent, sort of fun-loving, a little bit romantic view of all this, thinking that we need to build the best software and give it to everybody. Yeah. And we can't lock it down with a password because that would be a complication. And if we set a password, it has to be an easy one so you don't forget it. Yeah. You know, that was the thinking back then. And, and I, I've been sometimes comparing that I wasn't around in that capacity at the time, but in the 60s, when with all the hippies and free love and all those things, and they thought that all of this was, they could be open about everything. And then suddenly, really bad medical conditions hit that community, and they realized, okay, you have to be very careful, you have to protect yourself, mm -hmm. you can't just share everything freely with anybody. Yep. So it was a similar shift now in software where we say, okay, all that fun has led to this and now we need to secure it so that you can build a full digital society on top of it. In some ways I miss those days. I mean, this is a tangential example, but 
maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I had the most basic password in the world. It had no numbers, yeah. no capitals, yeah. Yeah. no alphanumeric. Yeah, exactly. And I use it for every single website. Yeah. And I never forgot my password. Exactly. Admin, admin or something. Yeah. But now there's all these rules. And now I just have Safari or Chrome yeah. remember my passwords. So in a funny way, I'm almost back to the same thing, where I just have to log into yeah. my computer once, and I have the whole kingdom. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very true. Which is, uh, I don't know, we're going around and around. But who couldn't remember all these passwords? Everyone forgets. Nobody. Well, that's why I use the services where you can have multiple passwords yeah. stored under one. That's what you would do. Yep. But it's much more serious now. You have to take it more serious. It's not the same just fun and fun-loving world that we did have in the internet 15 years ago. Yep. Um, have hackers ever tried to penetrate HackerOne? All the time. We, we're probably the most hacked web property in the world because, of course, the best thing for them is to hack us. Yes. So we give very uh, generous bounties and we pay them out all the time. We paid a $10,000 bounty in December for a stupid mistake we made. It wasn't that serious, but we take it very seriously, so we fix it immediately. Okay. And then we publish every report. So if you go to our website, you can read the full vulnerability report that the hacker sent in, and we publish it to everybody to learn from. Okay. So it happens all the time. How many hackers do you have in the system currently? We have 100,000 hackers registered in the system. Okay. And how much did you pay out last year in bounties? Uh, we paid lots and lots of millions last year. We paid a total of 14 million. 40? 14. 14. Yeah. Okay. Which is a lot of money and still nothing compared to what it is growing to be. How early in a startup's, like when you're just starting a company, you're not thinking about this stuff. You're thinking about what's the very first iteration of the website or app? Yeah. How do I get it up quickly? How do I raise money? How do I pay rent? Those are true. You're not thinking about what if I get hacked? Yeah. How early do you think it's appropriate for a startup to start thinking in these terms and get a bug bounty program and start thinking about cybersecurity? Well, the hard news for everybody is that you have to do it from the get-go. You have to have a security mindset when you design. It doesn't mean that you need a security guy or a CISO or anything in, in the team, but you need somebody, you need a culture of thinking about security. And that's already when you're in good shape. Then you need to run on cloud services, you are on Cloudflare, so you are protected against DDoS attacks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then the moment you go live, you would actually need a bug bounty program at that point. You can start with a vulnerability coordination program where you don't pay bounties, but you can at least receive the reports. And that's a good start. Because mm. then people who find something, who love your company, they'll file a report with you and they won't expect a reward for it. Yep. And that will already help you. But of course, you need to be able to, to decipher the report, understand how to fix it. So you have to have some security knowledge. And that's a big bottleneck today because many brilliant, brilliant software engineers have no background in, in software security. What brought you to the US, switching gears in the oh, first place? Oh, yes. That was 14 years ago. We were racing a B round for MySQL. Mm -hmm. And I asked some friends, I said, do you think we could get investors from the US? I said, no, no chance, Martin. You're a Scandinavian, tiny startup. Why did you want investors from the US? I don't know. I just had this dream that I need yeah. to go to Silicon Valley and, and make it big there. Okay. You're not the first. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the first. So, so we thought we couldn't trade. We went to London and thought, OK, that's the furthest away we can go from the Helsinki-Stockholm axis. Mm -hmm. and, but then suddenly we got introductions here and there, and discussions started happening. And on the 31st of May, 2003, 
we signed with Benchmark Capital and they essentially said, Martin, if you move to Silicon Valley, we will invest. And I said, if you invest, I will move to Silicon Valley. So okay. It was a deal. And um, any desire to go home? Well, that is my home. Any desire where, to go back to Finland? <laughs> I don't believe there's any back in life. Okay. There's no rewind. Sure, I can go to Finland. I go there all the time. I love the place. Mm -hmm. Could I move there? Yes, I could go there. But I don't believe it's back. Life moves forward and you do what you do. You can move to other places. Yeah. You mustn't limit yourself to thinking that you have to go all the way back somewhere. Do you think it's possible to build a massive global company from Finland? Supercell. Okay. How about Rovio. others? Rovio, okay. Angry Birds. Yep. Two of the top gaming companies in the world. What's in the water? Why, why yeah, all this exactly. gaming? It's in the water. It's something. Okay. I think it's, it's a long tradition in Finland of having strong storytelling, having very strong engineering skill, being early in the mobile business thanks to Nokia and other things. So there's a sense of, of gaming. Yep. And there have been gaming uh, companies in Finland for a long, long time. Uh, Max Payne was a game 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, very successful, developed yep. in Finland. So there's a very strong culture. And Supercell is an absolutely amazing company. Absolutely amazing. What do they do? Two billion in revenues with a uh, headcount of 300. I agree. Something I'm, like I'm, I'm pretty addicted to one of their games. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I get it. Yes. <laughs> and I don't think they could have done it anywhere else because they have a very special culture of how they do it, how they deal with failure, how they, how they celebrate failure as a learning process. Yep. And things that you probably couldn't do in Silicon Valley where everything is about victory and where you idolize certain leaders and this is a much more collegial approach that's super sad. That's so interesting because I've always felt that in the US what makes us unique is we celebrate failure to the degree that you learn from it yeah. and do better true. next time. That is true. Their cultures, especially uh, I think of Asian cultures, yeah. where if yeah. you fail you're, you're an idiot, yeah. You're, yeah. you're done. Yes. Um, but you're true. saying Finland um, does celebrate failure. No, okay. in the past not at all. I mean in Finland you, you were not allowed to fail, but you were also not allowed to succeed. Just stay in the middle. <laughs> Where's the Just fun of that? Just stay in the middle. Well, that's a typical Scandinavian approach. I'm... Don't stand out. Don't be the tallest. Don't be the shortest. Don't be the fastest. Don't be the slowest. Sounds, stay... sounds very socialist. Yeah, you call it socialist. You don't even know what socialist is, but <laughs> no, sure, I'll, I'll grant you the right to use the word socialist. I remember being in Sweden about 10 years ago with my father, who's an avid gambler. Oh, and we okay. went into a casino. Yeah. And the minimum uh, bet was two dollars. Yes. And the maximum was six. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, six. And, I would have said two. <laughs> uh, no, six. And and the and yeah. also if you tie, you lose. Which. No, no. Yeah. And my dad said yeah. to the dealer, "Why are there these rules? Right. Well, the government thinks you should be able to gamble." Okay, but why is it so limited? <laughs> yeah. Well, the government wants to protect you from gambling. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how we think about it. So, so him being American yeah. is like, can I play all eight at once? And so, oh, okay. <laughs> $50 minimum bet. <laughs> yeah, that, bet. that is Scandinavia. Yes. Everybody must, must be okay. Nobody must be left behind. And therefore, nobody must be allowed to be ahead of everybody else. Yeah. But, but Supercell has turned this around into a very powerful company culture where where Ilka, the CEO, when every big magazine, Fortune, Forbes, talk about the most influential CEO or blah, blah, blah. Ilka says, I want to be the least influential CEO. And people say, what? He says, yes, I want the team to decide. I want the group to decide. 
I want my employees to make the decisions. If the decision has to be escalated to me, it's already a fail. Hmm. And that's very smart yes. in this modern world. So, so there's something going on there. It's huge. What's next for you after Hacker One? I don't know. I'm doing Hacker One. This can take a long, long time. Yeah? It takes a long time to build an overnight success. <laughs> I think I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say it. I just steal yes. sound bites from others. Yeah. Then sometimes I get credited for them, and that's wrong. But can I keep this coin? You can. I didn't earn it, though. I feel kind you of You didn't earn it, but you can keep it. You can keep it. Well, thank you very much. It's yours now. You're thank a hacker. You. I'm a hacker. <laughs> thank you very much for being on today. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Did you like what you just saw? You want to see more? Go ahead and subscribe. We have new episodes every Tuesday. And if there's someone you want to see on the show, just add them as a comment down below. We'll take a look and we'll have them on if we can. Thanks again.